when you when you get older, some of you are not going to be able to identify with this too good as I talk about this, but uh, when you get older, you begin to think about the day of your death more and more often. Uh, when I was younger, I never thought about it. And now as I'm getting older, I think about it more and more. And as you begin to think, you know, you have all these options of what you're going to think about. And if you're carnal, you begin to think about all the things that you've missed out on in life. You know, but if you're spiritual, you begin to think about the things that Jesus has missed out on in your life. You begin to think about those things like that. And another thing that you begin to think about is the next generation. What's going to happen to them? What's going on with them? What it looks like? I can tell you what, my friend, if you get a real view from God, you'll get burdened about this. Amen. And that's pretty much where this message come from. God began to deal with me a few weeks back, and uh, uh, somebody asked me one day, what you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to preach. And they said, where are you going to preach? I said, don't know. Uh, I just know God's talking to me, and uh, he's giving me something to say. And then a little while later, Brother Britt uh, asked me to preach, and I said, well, I was coming up here to ask you if I could preach. That's the first time I was ever going to do that, but I had something from God, and I believe he wanted me to preach it here. So I'm going to talk to you tonight, uh, hopefully the Holy Ghost will talk to you tonight, about overcoming in the second generation, or the next, or the next generation. You may be first generation. Amen. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to just read one scripture, verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust, Father, for that anointing of the Holy Ghost, Father. I know I need, Father, the Holy Ghost here tonight. Just the words of man will fall on ears and do nothing, living God. But I know when the Holy Ghost comes, the yoke will be broken. Eyes will be open, living God. The word of the Lord will find its place in our hearts. I do pray, Father, both the anointing to preach and to hear what the Spirit of God has got to say. Awaken us, Father, in this time that we're in that we'll see, Father, what great need that we're in, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do help us, Father, in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, you know, throughout the course of history, whenever darkness would seem to encompass the world, God's reaction to such a state would be always to raise up a vessel or raise up vessels that would shine forth His glorious light as a testimony for Himself. And it was always God's will that this testimony would continue into the next generation and then into the next generation, then into the next generation, and so on and so forth. It was God's will that that would never stop happening. When the world became engulfed with idolatry, God found a man by the name of Abram. God later changed his name to Abraham. But he's the only man in the Bible that God called his friend. Well, that man allowed God to work in his life, his good pleasure in his life, and in his family. Now, as Brother Charlie pointed out a few weeks ago, 
when he spoke about Isaac there, we see that Isaac did so little with God that hardly anything is written in the Bible about his life with God in comparison to his father Abraham. Now, I don't believe that Isaac went to hell because Jesus mentioned him when he talked about that God is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. But I'm only saying here that Isaac did not avail himself unto God in his generation like he could have. Amen? Isaac could hardly hold a candle in comparison to what his father Abraham had shined, a bright and a brilliant light in his generation. Amen? And surely this had an effect on the next generation in Isaac's seeds. As we see Esau, he becomes an earthly, sensual, and devilish man. And Jacob, he becomes a surplanter. And Jacob, he only learned God through the most difficult of circumstances, brought mostly on by himself, his own doings. But in our text in Joshua chapter 24, this is not an isolated case in history, but sadly it is the normal course of events that we see happen in the second generation. By We see it in the Bible and we see it by experience. Another example of this is found in Second Chronicles chapter 24. You can turn there if you want to. I'll read verse 1 and 2 to begin with. It said that Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did that which right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jedidiah, the high of the priest. Then in verses 17 and 18, we get the rest of the story. It says, Now after the death of Jedidiah came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. And then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. Another example here in the Scriptures. We could go through a lot of them. Again, hundreds of years later, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under that law. Jesus, when describing the darkness of His day, and my friend, it was dark during the days that Jesus came, for Jesus to say what I'm fixing to say, He said as Sodom had been here to see the works that you're seeing, the mighty works that you're seeing, they would have remained unto this day. That's a dark day that Jesus was living in. Well, God's reaction to that gross darkness was to send forth His Son, who is the light of the world, to be a testimony of Himself. Then through His Son, that testimony was to continue in all those that believe on Jesus as the Scripture says. Well, on the day of Pentecost, God finds 120 men and women in an upper room. They're waiting upon God according to Jesus' command. And then Jesus baptizes them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Then they go forth from that upper room in Jerusalem and they shake the entire world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before the Apostle Paul is even dead, He's writing to the Thessalonians and he's saying the mystery of iniquity is already working. Then the Apostle John, before he's dead, he's writing the book of Revelation and something has gone terribly wrong in that next generation of churchgoers. Hadn't it? We see 
five out of seven churches are going to be addressed. And they're going to be given the most stern warnings concerning backsliding and apostasy. That's just one generation. The thing looks like it's falling all apart. Amen? Well, you know, about ten years ago in 2012, or two, excuse me, in the summer, the first year in Poland, uh, I had to go, me and Jackie had to go and... uh uh, get our passport stamped again. We could only stay so long at a time during that time. And they stamped your passport. You could come back. But I got invited to go down there and preach in a church in South Poland. And I had heard that this, you know, th- there was two villages down there. And I had heard that this one was the best church in all of Poland. And these people, they had, I'll just tell you the story, how they became, became, they were in a church down there close to the Czech border. They, some were Polish, some were Czechs. And uh, they were down there on the, pretty close to the border. The Holy Ghost moved in a service, and a number of them, God called them out and separated them and told them to go to this area and plant a church. And I'm going to tell you about this area. This area was a place known for people to die real fast. It was an area that was very disputed between the Ukraine, the Czechs, and the Polish people. Multitudes of people had died going there, trying just to establish a village, much less trying to establish a church. But these people believed they heard from God, and they gathered up all their stuff. I saw the pictures of it. It was amazing. They loaded all that stuff up. They brought it to that area. They had to cross five rivers, no bridge. Not even one bridge now. They're all dairymen is what they are. They got old tractors. They look like they uh, look like they junk is what look, most of them look like. But they got plenty of old cows and all kinds of stuff. They're loading all that stuff. They got pictures of the tractors tumping over in the river as they're trying to go across that river. I'm telling you, those people, they faced something to go there where God told them to go. They went there. They planted a church. Something happened among those people. You could sense it while you was down there. Something had happened among those people those people there's two villages they said there's no, nothing but christians in those two villages well by the time i got there something had gone terribly wrong in the next generation you know that one of those rivers was not very far from uh where we were staying at from that village and uh they were renting out their rooms in their houses to these people to go tubing on these rivers and these people, they are just as naked as they could be nearly and just packs or uh, load after load of a beer they was hauling in, you know, into these people's houses, you know. And when they got confronted about it, they made all kinds of stupid excuses about why they allowed beer and naked people to come into their houses. But that, you see, I just knew something was wrong there. Something's bad wrong here. Not only that, but half of them had ended up splitting off and going with old uh, William Branham and the Serpent Seed Doctrine. And the thing got all messed up. But, you know, one thing that I, I could notice about them as I was there, that, that the whole everything just rotated around them. Around their little village. There wasn't a mind for missions and not one of them there. I, maybe because I was a missionary. Maybe that's why I was so big on that. Maybe that's why I was seeing that. I don't really know. But everything was just circled up in those little villages right there. And they wasn't going out. They wasn't nothing going to happen there. They they just going to stick right there with their little farm, do their little life, live their way they wanted to live, and that's going to be it. And that's as far as they was going to go with the gospel. I'm telling you, great darkness overcame those people. Just in less than 30 years, great darkness came in where once it had not been there. Amen? All right. Well, somebody, somewhere, has to overcome this terrible pattern and become that testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, that testimony in this generation and that testimony in the next generation. 
and so forth. Well, tonight I want to use the prophet Samuel as an example of someone who overcame in that second generation. Now, what elements are evident in his life that led to his overcoming where so many have failed to overcome in that second generation? And first, you might be thinking, well, how do you know he was of the second generation? Well, we would just be able to look in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel and see his mother Hannah there. And though it appears that Samuel didn't get to spend a great deal of time with his mother, I am absolutely persuaded that Eli told the story to Samuel about his mother Hannah many times. If we were to read that, we would see that Hannah came there. She's a woman. She's a barren woman. She's not bringing forth any fruit of the womb. No life is coming forth. You could preach a long time about that, but I'm not going to spend no time on that tonight. But no life is coming forth from her womb. And she gets extremely burdened, and she begins to cry to the God of heaven so that life or a child can come forth from her womb. So we see Hannah was a praying woman. Also in Hannah's life, we see that there was an absolute surrender to God of everything. In that prayer, she makes a vow. You can read it later on. But she makes a vow to God saying, if you'll give me that child, I I'll give him back all the days of his life. That's a complete surrender. You know what? Hannah, she don't know that she's going to have more children. Amen? She don't know that. She's got none, and now she's going to give God the only life that's going to come forth that she knows about. She's going to give it to God. Amen? So you see there's something really good about this woman, Hannah, here. She surrendered to God. Also, there was a complete separation in her life from the world. When she comes in that temple and she's praying there, Eli, she thinks she's a drunk woman because she's praying her lips are moving, but nothing is coming out of her mouth. And uh, Eli comes up to her and tells her, put away your drunkenness. And she begins to tell him, I'm a woman, you know, I'm, I'm of, 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 of a burdened spirit here, basically, is what you say. i got a great burden on, on my heart. Amen. And I don't count thy handmaid as a, as a daughter of Belial there. She's saying, I'm not a part of that world. I'm separated unto the God of heaven. That's what I'm doing. I have separated myself unto God. I'm crying out to God to so that life can come forth. So we see here that Hannah, she was a good example of a first generation of somebody that began to press in and see the God of heaven. Amen. Hannah's testimony, excuse me, I'll go to the next thing. Turn to Samuel chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter here. And we're going to look at Samuel's life. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Just stop there for just a second. That saying that the word of the Lord was precious there doesn't mean that everybody loved the word of God. You know that? It means it was rare. Very, very rare. Where it says that there's no open vision there. That means there's no voice, no public voice to call back the nation to God, to rebuke the darkness and call it back unto God. There was no public voice during those days of Samuel. Kind of sounds like our day. Amen. Sounds a lot like it. All right, verse 2. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. 
that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. And therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Sam, said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay into the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The first thing that we want to see in these scriptures is the calling of Samuel. Every calling of God implies a waiting upon God. And oh, I want that to sink down in your hearts deep, my friend. In verse 10, we see that God came and he stood. That means he waited. Amen? And then he called Samuel. That's how every calling of God initiates in a person's life. First, God comes to us first, amen, and then he expects us to come to him. That's the proper response. Then God comes and he stands or he waits, and then he expects us to wait upon him, amen. Then because God calls us, then he expects us to call upon him, amen. That's how it works every time in this calling of God. Well, you know, after three and a half years of ministry and the cross, Jesus told his disciples that they were to go forth and baptize those that believe in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He told them to command them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He told them I'd be with you always, even to the end of the world. He told them all the mighty signs and the wonders that would follow them that believe in him. And then he told them to go forth and preach the gospel unto every creature. But before they can do any of that... 
they have to obey Jesus' command to go to that upper room and wait for the promise of the Father. In Luke 24, 49, this is Jesus speaking here. It says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Now, almost everyone in this church tonight knows that the word tarry means to wait. Amen? But knowing the meaning of the word tarry don't mean we're doing it. Amen? The Apostle Paul tells us that above 500 brethren heard this command of Christ to go to that upper room and tarry, but only 120 of them obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's normally how things work out in our day as well. Almost nobody has time to wait upon God to get still. And let God begin to search that heart. Every issue of that life. We got too many things going on, my friend. Too much busyness in these life. This American life of rip, rare, and run. It's placed the American church in a rut of dead religion. And I can hardly see any way out of that slimy pit until we learn to again to wait upon God and truly hear from Him. Amen? I'm not going to go into great detail on this point about waiting on God, but I just want you to know, waiting upon God means that I trust God with everything. Amen? That's what it means. In the book of Proverbs, we've all read it lots and lots of times. It said, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All of thine heart. Not most of it, not some of it, but all of thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. Well, time and time again, the Holy Ghost, He brings us into a position, our positions, amen, where we face this option in our life. Am I going to trust God and do exactly what He says and wait upon Him in this trial or this test, in this difficult circumstance that I am? Or am I going to find the most convenient and the most painless way out of this dilemma that I'm in. That's the one most people chase, uh, go after, my friend. To wait upon God also means that we find our place in the body of Christ. It means that also. Now, can you imagine the discord and the disorder that would have been produced in that church had those early disciples disobeyed this command of Christ to go and wait upon the Father? I can. Just look at the American church in our generation. And this is the picture that I'm left with. Rebellion and chaos. It rules and it reigns almost in every church and almost in every family in America today. Sad to say. Now, my Bible says, though, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Amen. This lack of waiting upon God, it's also a reason why so few really have a word from God. Amen. It's also a reason why we have so many copycat ministries in our day. It's also a reason for very much of this frustration and discouragement that's going on among those that God even is calling unto himself. And, I, you know, I want you to have a right view about frustration and discouragement. Frustration and discouragement, they're like two sheer cliffs on both sides of the narrow way. Do you know that? Many people they, in the church, they get frustrated, they get discouraged, and they think, you know, I hadn't gone back to the world. 
yet. I ain't going that far back. I, I know things are not really going good right now. You know, I'm a little down and a little frustrated or discouraged here. But, you know, I, I'm going to be all right. But they fail to see the great danger that they're in, my friend. You see, you don't have to go back to be destroyed. All you have to do is turn to the side from the narrow way. And your destruction is almost guaranteed. It's not, but it's almost guaranteed. That's how dangerous frustration and uh, discouragement can be. You can almost hear the frustration in Samuel's voice as he confuses the call of God with the call of man. Amen. Let's read again in verses 4 through 10. Once again, chapter 3, excuse me, 1 Samuel. It says that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord revealed unto, yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. And therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Now, I want you to notice the first time Samuel said, Here am I. But the next two times Samuel adds, For thou didst call me. He's getting frustrated about this. God's calling him, but he's got it confused with the call of man. Amen. In the beginning, Samuel, he was swift to run. To, the, to a man instead of waiting upon God. That was a trouble there. But in verse 9, Eli simply gives Samuel some good advice. Go and wait upon God, my son. Now, Samuel, he has to obey this command. Amen? Or he'll never know this call of God for himself. Now, I hope that I'm not an Eli, but I do hope that you hear what the Holy Ghost is saying many of you here, you better wait on God. You better go find God and wait upon Him and know this call of God for yourself. Amen? And then it will become evident to everybody that you got the call of God on your life. Amen? The second thing about Samuel that we see in these verses is that Samuel, he has to know God for himself. Eli, he's done all that he can do for Samuel now. Eli's help could only take Samuel so far. The work of the ministry that God had called Samuel to do, it required Samuel to know God in an intimate way. As a prophet of God, it's going to be required of Samuel that he declare the mind, the will, and the intentions of a holy God to a nation who has totally forgotten about God and went a-whoring after other gods. But before Samuel can go and do this effectually, he's got to know that holy God for himself. Or it's just going to be somebody else's words that he's repeating. Amen. You know, when you're a young Christian, 
it's not uncommon to get tangled up with uh, some things that are not the most excellent way. In fact, you get tangled up in some bad things sometimes if you don't have some good oversight. But, you know, when you mature, you begin to look back and you begin to think. And this is what you think, too. You begin to think, if I just knew Jesus better during that time, I wouldn't have wasted so much time on those things that are unprofitable. That's what you begin to think. If I did just know Jesus better, I wouldn't have wasted God's time and my time on this. You know, many times God, he'll send us a mature Christian into our life to save us from these unprofitable times. And I can testify, and I'm sure that many of you can testify of the same, that that's been the case in our lives on occasions, and maybe even many times in our lives that's been the case. But, you know, this blessing, it has its limit. It does. It has its limit. And I can remember such a time in my Christian life that it left a mark on me that's never been removed. Amen. I can look back any day I want to and see that old landmark in my Christian life. I was about two years old in God at the time. And up to that point, my old pastor, he seemed like he had the answer to everything in my life. It just, I mean, every week I come to every service and all he did was sit up there and read what I'd been thinking about all week long in between every service. It's just everything. It didn't matter what it is. Or if I went to him, I went to my old pastor's house uh, probably for the first two or three years, huh, Jackie? Every day, without fail, every day. I got off at work at 3.30. I drove to his house. I sit at his house till about 6 o'clock. Every afternoon, I asked him question after question after question. I probed him about everything. Amen. He seemed like he had the answer to everything. But, you know, all of a sudden there came a time when he didn't have all my answers no more. And you know what I did? <laughs> I thought something was wrong with him. I found out the hard way there's something wrong with me. Amen. I found out that in, the, in this test, I found out that I began to lean on a man much more than I was leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I just I didn't realize I was doing that, but that's exactly what has happened. But, you know, I didn't know that in just four short years, he's going to be dead. I didn't know that. But God knew that. God knew I didn't need to lean on a man that much anyway, but God knew he's fixing to be gone. And I'm going to have to find God myself. I've got to find Jesus myself and know Jesus in a much greater way. Well, it was during this time when my old pastor didn't have my, all my answers anymore that uh, this prophet came into town, and we went to go listen to this prophet preach. And I'm telling you what, man, the first night, boy, he got me hook, line, and sinker. Boy, I tell you what, you know. They had a bunch of people in there. They was as flaky as they could be, you know. I knew they was flaky. And he got up there, and he rambled for a little while, you know, and all of a sudden he, he's known to prophesy a good bit, you know. Oh, he just stopped in the middle of the service. He said, all of y'all people, y'all come here to prophesy. That's it. It's over with tonight. You can go home tonight, come back tomorrow. I said, man, that, that man, sure enough, he's, he's of God. Now, he ain't here for money, I, I, I thought. So I pretty much uh, probably just chunked discernment out the window, you know. The next night we come in there, you know, and he gets up there and he begins to preach. And he's preaching on Solomon's bed. And I tell you what, man, I never heard somebody preach on the colors in the Bible like that in my entire life. I, I was amazed, you know. Just And he is so spiritual, he even said, you know, that he doesn't read his Bible except when the Holy Ghost tells him to. Who I swallowed that thing, you know. I thought he's a super spirit or something. And, boy, he is stupid. That's what that is. Because the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. The word man needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As a young Christian now, please have mercy on me on that one. Maybe you got one a story like in your closet like that too. 
you know, but I, I swallowed all of what that prophet was saying. But I'm telling you, man, he took an hour and a half talking on the colors of that dead. I never heard such stuff in my life. I'm thinking this man, he must know everything there is to know about God. And I just got enamored with all that information. Amen. Well, you know, all of a sudden during that year, this dryness came upon my soul. And I'm talking about it got dry as a bone in my soul. And I begin to wake up and I begin to seek Jesus. And I'm talking, I got hungry for Jesus. And I really, I begin to find Jesus too. As I hungered, I begin to find the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I got consumed at that point. Somewhere in that time, I got consumed with Jesus Christ. I just, I just, something happened to me. I couldn't explain it. I just knew I got consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, then uh, about a year later after that happens, the prophet comes back to town. And I go to listen to him again, you know. And he gets up there and he starts spitting out his fair speeches with his big numbers and his all his stuff he begins to say and all, you know. And I tell you what, that's the deadest thing I ever heard in my life. I begin to realize this man, he can spit out information all day long, but he don't know Jesus. I'm telling you, all I wanted to know was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I cared about. I just wanted somebody to get up there and tell me about how they love Jesus. I just wanted to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened to me during that time. I had to find God for myself. Amen? Well, the same thing needs to happen to some of you in here, my friend. The third thing about Samuel is that Samuel is going to have to be prepared to stand alone in his generation. In the very beginning of Samuel's life in God, he's going to have to stand alone with God and for God. Little did Samuel know that there would be such a reason for this in his life. I'm sure that Eli did a lot of good things for Samuel in his life, but those things could never outweigh his relationship unto God. Would you just think about Samuel for a minute, what he had to do as he stood alone for God and with God in this generation. Samuel, Samuel in the very beginning, he's going to have to stand face-to-face with the high priest. A little bit later on, he's going to have to stand against the whole nation of Israel. Amen? And then a little bit later on, he's going to have to stand face-to-face with the king of Israel, King Saul. And he's going to have to tell all of them, you're dead wrong, my friend. Every one of them, he's going to have to stand with God and for God all by himself. At the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ stood alone. Amen? The apostle Paul even said, at first, no man stood with me. Amen? So this, this is a very common thing. You know, years ago, uh, when me and Jackie were about four years old in God, uh, Jackie got some kind of pain, uh, started shooting from the top of her head down her neck. And uh, for about three and a half months, she didn't hardly sleep at all. And all of her waking moments, she was crying all the time. Just everywhere we went, she cried. And you, I'd tell her, please stop, you know. And she wouldn't stop. And she's hurting. And, uh, uh, it is a difficult time, my friend. I, I, I've, I've endured lots of things. When you're sick, it didn't, I, I had those uh, uh, kidney stones in Poland here a while back, and that's the worst pain I ever felt in my entire life. But I tell you, that don't even compare to that trial right there when my wife was sick, and I was watching her cry every day, you know. And uh, But we would go to that church, you know, every service, and those people, man, they as mad as a hornet at me. They thought I was a devil because I wouldn't let her go to the doctor. But I didn't tell her she couldn't go to the doctor. She wanted, She didn't want to go to the doctor. She wanted to trust Jesus. Amen? And we just prayed. That's all we did. We prayed. We had to stand there basically alone 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in three and a half months, Jesus healed her. And nobody said a word, not even one word. But we just kept standing for Jesus. It didn't matter whether they agreed or they disagreed. We're just going to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't know, but that's working something in me. It was a difficult test. I admit, it's difficult to stand there and see that happening with my wife, you know. But we passed the test. Well, about two years later, I'm cutting grass, and I had a certain place that I went. is a five-acre place, and there's two things I could count on every time I hit that driveway when I got there. I'm going to spend about five hours there cutting that grass, but every time I got to that driveway, the devil's going to meet me there at that driveway. He's going to flood me with every kind of stupid thought that there is in this world. He knows that if I pray through when I get on that job, I'm going to hear from God every time. And every time I'd go out there, that's what would happen. I'd have to fight the devil for a little while, and all of a sudden God would begin to deal with me on that grass. I'd hardly know I was even cutting grass for five hours. I'd hear from God so good on that job. Well, I got there one day. I could, I could go to the tree where I was cutting at. I could tell you exactly where I was at. I remember it so good. And while I'm cutting, all of a sudden I had a vision, the only vision I ever had in my life. And you may not like visions, but I got one. So if you get one, I'll rejoice with you. Amen. But anyway, I had a vision that day. And I saw all those people in that church on the Jericho Road. I saw every one of them. Some were further down the Jericho Road than others. And all were fixing to fall among thieves. And God told me after I saw that, he said, you go to that church Sunday and you declare what you saw to those people. Well, I got up there that Sunday and I began to preach. I preached the message. God gave me a message. And I then in that message where God told me, I told them what I saw in that vision. I'm telling you what, man, them old folks, it looked like they was going to string me up and kill me. I tell you what, it is, it is an awful time. I'm having to stand all by myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the strange thing is, a guy visiting preacher came the very next Sunday. And I'm telling you what, he said almost word for word what I'd said the previous Sunday. They melted in their pews and said, that's the best preacher they ever heard in their life. I had to stand alone with Jesus during that time, my friend. And you know, many times it's going to be required of us to stand alone with the Lord Jesus Christ, even when those that are closest to us do not understand. There's a reason for those tests like that. You see, those things that I faced there back home in that little bitty church, they were absolutely nothing compared to the things that we face on the mission field as we tried to plant the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are pale in comparison to those things that we faced out there. Now, the last thing that we see about Samuel, and we don't see this in chapter 3 that we read, but it's true, and we're going to see where it's at, that Samuel, he established a prayer history with God. He had a history of prayer in his life. You know, Samuel's name, it means heard of God or asked of God. Samuel's name basically means prayer. That's what it means. Apparently, Samuel had one of the best prayer lives of anybody up until the time of the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to what God says about Samuel in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. And then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward these people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Now, you just think about it. There wasn't but two people that could have prayed to God. God said they, would, they, they wouldn't have going to affect them, but only two of them God mentioned in all of that time up to the prophet Jeremiah, and one of them was Samuel. He had a prayer history with God. Also, 
all of Israel knew that Samuel had a prayer life to God. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, and beginning in verse 7, it says, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And God answered that prayer as Samuel prayed and offered up a sacrifice for Israel. You know, when I was a young, young, young Christian, my old pastor told me a story about when Pentecost first came to this country up here. It came in Liberty, Mississippi is where it came. And uh, my great-grandpa, he was among those. He was the, really, they said, the first one that, became, that agreed with the man that came through. He preached in a tent and uh, about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He agreed with it, and then his whole family began to get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But anyway, my, my, my great-grandpa had one of the few vehicles that people had, and uh, my old pastor was one of the elder sons there, and he was the one that drove the vehicle. Well, somebody in Liberty, their little girl, had an appendicitis attack, and it busted or something, and they got a hold somehow or another. I don't know how they did it during those days, but somehow or another they got a hold to my great-grandpa, and they told him to go get the praying people and bring them over there to the little girl's house, the parents' house, and pray for this little girl. Well, the, it was two couples is what it was, and two men and two women, somewhere in Liberty. I don't know their names. He never told me what their names were. And they came to the house. My old pastor was the one that drove. He, was, he saw everything that happened that night. He said he drove the people there. They got out. They went inside. The little girl, she's screaming and hollering, you know, because her appendix are bursting and all. And it looks like she's fixing to die. And these two couples, they begin to cry out to God. Well, somehow or another, they don't even know how it happened. But the sheriff got ear that this little girl's got an appendicitis attack, and she's fixing to die, and they're not taking her to the doctor. And he's going to come over there and do something about it. By the time that the sheriff knocked on the door, the little girl was healed. They, pray, they prayed through. They prayed that family through, and they touched Jesus Christ. You know, these people, they had a prayer history with God and before all that community. That's why that man and that woman called them to come pray for their little girl when she was fixing to die. Now I ask, what kind of testimony or prayer history do we have individually, as a family, and as a church. Do we have a history of prayer, a testimony of prayer? I know that in my own personal life, one of the first things and perhaps the greatest lesson that the Holy Ghost taught me was a life of early morning consistent prayer. I remember when I first got born again. Many of you have heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. When I first got born again, my old pastor brought me to his closet. He had shoe boxes lined up in that closet of Brother Clinton and Tate's. He grabbed one of them, handed it to me, said, when you get through with this box, bring it back to me and I'll give you another box. I don't know how many them boxes I listened to. I listened to all of them that he had. I don't know how many of them that it was. Anyway, I devoured those tapes. I listened to everything that that man had to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, it didn't matter whether he preached on the blood or the cross, on the church or the rapture. 
All I could hear that man say was, I get up at 4.30 every morning so I can be at that prayer meeting in that church at 5 o'clock every morning. That's all I heard on every message. It seemed like that's all that he talked about. I knew, I realized that God was talking to me to establish a prayer life in my in our early morning prayer life in my life. Well, I can tell you, because I gave heed to that, I've got uh, old landmarks throughout this world in different countries that I can point to where I pray through on certain things. And I'm going to tell you about two of them, and I hope that they help you begin to pray through and get a consistent life of prayer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 1997, me and Sister Jackie and Charlie and Jill, we went to the first School of Christ in Kerrville, Texas. And their prayer meetings in the School of Christ, they begin at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, when I got there, the Holy Ghost told me, you get up at 4 and get out there and pray two hours before their prayer meeting ever begins. Well, to tell you, just to cut through a lot of stuff, I begin to pray, doing that every day, you know. But during that time or before all that time, every time that I lift up my hands and begin to tell Jesus that I loved him, I'd hear this voice, and I don't know whether it was the flesh or the devil or what, but every time I'd say, Jesus, I love you, I'd hear a voice behind it and say, no, you don't. And I'm telling you, man, it was the most aggravating thing to me. It was a thorn in my side all the time. I wanted to love Jesus, you know, with everything in my heart, and I couldn't seem to break through that thing. Well, I didn't know that's what God was going to touch during that time. Well, about the third week in there and during those that school of Christ, there's about eight of us that would stay every day when Brother Clendenin would get through. He'd get through sometimes 11.15, 11.30, and we'd pray for half hour, 45 minutes before lunch. Only eight of us would stay just about every day and pray. Well, one day during about that third week, the Holy Ghost come up in that room. Oh, it was glorious. And I began to scream, Jesus, I love you. And I never heard that voice anymore. And here it is. I don't know how many years ago, that's 15 years now. I hadn't ever heard that voice, not even one time. I disobeyed what God said. You go out there two hours early before they ever pray, and you seek me for two hours. I just obeyed what Jesus said. God gave me a great victory, and I am so thankful for it. Amen. The other thing, when we went to India, me and Jackie went to India, the first three weeks we were there, we didn't have an interpreter. I had a little boy in the village. He's about seven years old. He knew the Queen's English. He could speak it perfect, seemed like. And uh, he's about the only one we could get to speak English, and I tried to use him to witness to people. But I would have people come, uh, I guess probably every day. Lots of them would come every day for prayer. And uh, some of them got healed. They did, even though they was heathens. I tried to use the little boy to witness to them, but God even healed some of them trying to turn them. But one day, this woman come walking across the field, and Jackie had seen this woman with this little boy, and I had never seen them before. And uh, I don't know how that happened because we was together most of the time. But anyway, when Jackie saw him coming across that field toward where we were staying at, uh, she said, when you see this little boy, you're going to know he's devil-possessed. And I'm telling you, when, when that little boy showed up, you could tell immediately he is so full of devils. It's unbelievable, you know. 
So uh, sure enough, she brought the little boy up there, and as soon as the little boy looked at me, man, he tried to take off and run, just like a lightning bolt with an old lady she called him. I don't know if he was his grandmother or his mother. I just don't really know. The Indians age kind of fast. And anyway, she called him. She drug him back, and uh, she got him right in front of me, and I began to rebuke him. He hit the ground just like that fast, flipping all over the place, you know, and I commanded him to stop, and he stopped. And uh, I couldn't get that devil out there, boy. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and uh, he, that devil didn't come out. He stopped flipping all around, but he didn't come out. And then, I, boy, I, I was so down. I'll tell you, man, I, I felt like I was the worst person that ever lived. I couldn't get that devil out that boy. I've been sent over here to preach the gospel to these people. I can't even cast a devil out of this little boy. And I, inside, I was just saying, oh, I wish this woman would leave so I could go get home with God. I got to find out. What's wrong with me? And when the woman left, and to be honest, I don't know what happened to the little boy, so you don't need to ask him. I never saw him again and all. But anyway, when she left, I began to seek God. And once again, we had prayer meetings at 6 o'clock in the morning at that school. I began to get up at 4 o'clock every morning and hit that field out there where we were living at and begin to cry unto Jesus. Well, we had a school to school. I think that school lasted about six weeks. And toward the very end of that school, or during the, that time of that school, all those students were coming to me. I don't think I had two of them that were I thought that were really born again out of the whole bunch, out of 18 students. Uh, but they all begin to come to me and tell me that they're having, uh, you know, awful nightmares. Devils are tormenting them all the time. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to those people as hard as I ever preached to anybody in my life. They're looking at me smiling and doing that little head wiggle thing you know however i can't do it but they're doing that little head wiggle all the time like they're agreeing with everything you say and they don't agree with nothing they, they are so far from god it was ridiculous i was preaching he was making me preach so hard to those people i couldn't believe the things that i was saying you know but i was crying out to god early every morning oh, lots of times late at night i'm fasting a whole lot of days while i'm there i got to find out what's wrong anyway we had a bar across the road from our school which in India was so rare. They just said they just don't hardly have bars. There'd be fights out there all the time and all kind of disturbances and all, you know. But all of a sudden, one day, at the very, toward the very end of that school, God gave me something to say, and I preached it to those people. And I'm telling you, something happened in those people. I think most of them, I don't think one of them for sure, but I think most of them got right with God that day. And that bar across the street shut down that day something happened but i just obeyed what god said i got so i got disturbed and i believe god wanted me to go seek him to find out what's going on well my friend we got a long ways to go to get to pentecost do you know that you know lots of people they come here and they look at our church and they compare us with everybody else you know that and i thank god for what we do have but we ain't got pentecost yet you know that? Some people, some people in here don't even identify with Pentecost at all. You know that? We better seek God. I hope you hear what the Holy Ghost is saying because I fear what's going to happen in the next generation if we don't find God real soon. If this has touched you in any way, amen, come and spend a little bit of time talking to God. Amen.
perhaps one of the most dangerous spiritual attitudes to adopt is one of spiritual contentment. There is a contentment that is righteous. There is a contentment that um, we are to have and possess and maintain in Jesus. But there's also a hunger and a desire, um, a call to never be satisfied, if you will, um, to the spiritual attainment or the spiritual progress that we've made thus far. And um, when you grow content with where you're at in God, when you come to a place where you uh, no longer hunger and thirst to move forward, uh, that's that's a spiritual graveyard. Amen. That's where you're digging a spiritual grave that you're going to die in. And there's got to be a pushing forward. There's got to be a casting off of being content with the status quo, if you will. And, um, you know, really every generation, every Christian fights that battle. Amen. Every uh, move of God uh, fights that uh, that battle of just finding a place of ease in Zion, just sitting down, saying, I found a good place. Let's just stay right here and be content. And, um, you know, the word of the Lord comes to shake us and to awaken us in that. And uh, the only key, the only place you can go uh, to, to rise out of that is the altar. Amen. Only a fresh revelation of God can do that. And uh, someone you know, whatever work, let's, let's apply that to, to us individually. Whatever work has been gained here in your individual life, for that to pass on, to continue, to be a blessing, for there to be life, for there to be a testimony, amen, someone has to be zealous for God. And someone has to be zealous for what God sees and what God thinks. Someone has to have a burden. Amen from God. You think about where you've come to. You think about what God's done in your life, whether it be in the church, in that context. You think about it individually. The only way that you came there, the only way that you got there is because you were hungry for what God thought about it. There was a, a jealousy for God, a jealousy for his heart, a jealousy for his law, a jealousy for his gospel, a jealousy for his truth, a jealousy for him. And uh, when you lose that and you're just content, okay, now, God, I'm just going to stay here. I'm waiting for heaven. Amen. There's going to be no more progress. Someone's got to be jealous for God. Someone's got to get the mind of God. Someone's got to pray through to God. Amen. And, uh, you know, if we don't pray through to God, then we're going to just fall after the same pattern that everyone else falls. Amen. That's We're not better. We're not different. We're not the exception. And we're fighting the same battle that everyone else has ever fought. Amen. And the only victory is in Jesus. The only victory is you're going to have to know God for yourself. And ministry for the most part is just trying to get people just drink. Drink for yourself. Drink the cup. Drink it. Come. Take of the living one. Drink. That's that's 99% of ministry. Is just trying to get people to drink a taste of God and see that He is good. Amen. That's the only way out. Nothing's going to ever change. Don't don't get deceived religiously 
and believe, you know, by and by, things are going to... Let me tell you something. The only thing that happens by and by, if you don't resist, is things get a lot worse. Amen. So this is what you need to think. If I don't press in to the Lord Jesus Christ, then rest assured, I'm going to get further and further away from God. I'm going to get more and more religious, more and more carnal, and I'm going to become totally deceived. That's what's going to happen. Amen. It's not going to, you're not just going to passively and someday it's going to get all better. No, no. It's going to get a lot worse. Amen. Unless you press through and resist the devil. Amen. And submit ourselves to God. Praise the Lord. I'm persuaded that's what we're going to do. Amen. Let's stand. It's time to seek the Lord while he may be found. That's always the word of the Lord, isn't it? I said that's always the word of the Lord. Amen. That that really is the answer to everything. If we'll just hear, if we'll have ears to hear. Instead of just hearing it and then going out and doing what we always do. Falling after the same pattern. Being content. I'm just going to sit right here. I found a good place of comfort. And you young people, let me tell you something. You go in most church, let me tell you, if there's a, there's a generation that seeks, plants, plows, labors, amen, you, you're raised up in the blessings and the shadow, amen, of God's, you know, outpouring. And, you know, some of you young people, that's, it, it's my responsibility, it's Bob's responsibility, it's Charlie, it's all of our responsibility to press in, amen, to walk in the light. But some of you young people, I can tell you one thing. It's time for you to have a burden for God. For God. Not just for being raised in a Christian home, homeschooled, to know about you. It's some of you to be jealous for God, to be burdened for God. Do you know what that's like? Think about that. Do you have you had that experience? Where your mind and thoughts and heart are burdened for God? Day in and day out. That needs to happen. And that ain't going to happen. Amen. Meditating on big trucks. No, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen on anything except for you pressing in and waiting on God. Whenever you see anyone burdened for Jesus, that didn't just happen. Amen. That's not just something just arbitrarily took place. Someone had to respond. Samuel had to respond to God. Amen. First, it all begins with God calling, wooing, begging. But you know what? God's calling and wooing and beckoning us here tonight. Now, if we'll respond to him, amen, back and forth, we can grow in here. Amen? Praise the Lord. Someone needs to be burdened for what God thinks about it, to enter into that burden. Amen? To carry that burden, to be jealous, jealous for God. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord for your truth here tonight. We hear your call, Lord. We know you're speaking to us, Father. We ask in the name of Jesus as we leave here tonight, Lord, that this word would continue to speak to us, Father. That your spirit would call us individually, Lord, as families, Father, as a church, call us unto yourself, Father. Lord, that we would make decisions. We would make choices, Father. We would make the same choice that Samuel made. When we were instructed, Lord God, as we've been instructed here tonight, to say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Brother, we would wait upon you, Father God. We ask you for grace to seek your face, that indeed we might live. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you.
Lord willing, we will see you this weekend, Friday night, 8.30 p.m. at my home. Hug someone as you go. You're dismissed.